The title of our message is The Point of No Return. We've been going through the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings. If you want to join us on Wednesdays, we've been going through the book of Malachi. We'll be in Malachi chapter... Where are we? We're wrapping up chapter 3 this, sun, this Wednesday. So much going on. Oh my gosh. We have communion today after service, so hang out. We'll partake of that together. Revelation chapter 16, The Point of No Return. Let's pray. Father, we just ask your blessing upon this time that we have in your word. We pray, Father, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit says to the church this morning. Pray, Father, that uh, we would just recognize that you love us and that you tell us things before they happen because you love us. And Lord, we can cooperate with that or we can reject that. You give us that opportunity to be able to make that choice. And so, Father, I pray that you would minister your grace through a a very difficult section of scripture and that we would see father that you have a plan for our lives specifically and definitely this world go before our time as we offer it up to you in jesus name and all of god's people said Amen. amen so we're in revelation chapter 16 make a left cheat with me let's go back to chapter 7 i'm going to do a little introduction of where we've been I think it's appropriate. Revelation chapter 7. We are in this period of time that is yet future in history, and it's called the tribulation period. It's a period of God's judgment or wrath being poured out upon the world. It's a difficult section to get through. This is one of the reasons why I don't like teaching the book of Revelation, because as I study, it's it's just difficult to imagine that these catastrophic events are going to take place in the world, but yet it also encourages me. There's an echo, isn't there? Is there anything we could do about that? Are we good? I don't know. It just feels echoey. Um, as we get through it, it, I'm just encouraged, hopefully, to at least uh, recognize that I want to share God's love and God's message of salvation to as many people as come across my path, because as I see what is going to take place in the world through this tribulation period. It, um, it's just, again, it's difficult. But I want you to notice what is taking place. In the midst of judgment being poured out, what God is doing on the world in this seven-year period, not just pouring out his judgment, but his grace is able to be seen as the message of the gospel is going out to the whole world. So in Revelation chapter 7, verse 4, notice... It says, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all Israel, the tribe, the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And then so he names the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, and there's 12,000 from each tribe. And those are the group of individuals that that 144,000 is pulled from. But notice the result of their ministry starting at verse 9. It says in that same chapter, Revelation 7, It says, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Jump down now to 
Let's see, verse uh, 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to live living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So in the midst of this tribulation period, there are 144,000 individuals that God has handpicked Individuals that are holy, separated unto him, and they are going to go out and proclaim the gospel. Notice now, jump over to Revelation chapter 11, and look at verse 3. Again, in the midst of this tribulation period, Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, Clothed in sackcloth, jump down to verse 6. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And so in, the, in, in, in addition to the 144,000 that are sharing the gospel and people coming, you have these two witnesses for um, the, the number is three and a half years, that number of days, when, uh, what is it, 1,260 or so. Um, that is a two and a half, three and a half year period. So half of the tribulation period, God's going to have these two super witnesses. Um, one is Elijah. Many believe that the other would be Moses. And so Moses and Elijah are going to be on the earth coming back. And they're going to be sharing, the prophesying is the word that is used. And they're going to be declaring the truth of God. So again, in the middle of the tribulation. Jump over now to verse chapter 14 and notice verses 6 through 10. Revelation 14, verses 6 through 10. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength in the cup of his indignation, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And so again, you have three angels that are letting every person on the face of the planet know one of them is sharing the everlasting gospel. So to every ear is going to come the message of the gospel. Another is saying, refuse the mark. Don't take the mark of the beast. If you take the mark of the beast, then you're going to experience the wrath of God, the judgment of God. And so you just see, again, in the midst of everything that is going on, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy 
being poured out. Jump over to Revelation chapter 15. Notice verse 2. Those who are victorious over the beast. Revelation 15 verse 2 says, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. And so again, you see a group of people, a multitude, who didn't give in, who did heed the message of the angels or the message of Moses and Elijah or the message of the 144,000. Somehow they got wind. Somehow they knew what they were supposed to do and what they weren't supposed to do, and they obeyed what God was calling them to. Now notice, and this is where we were last week, um, verse 5 in Revelation chapter 15, by way of introduction to Revelation 16, which is what we're going to look at today, starting at verse 5 in, in chapter 15, and these, after these things I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, and out of the temple came the seven angels having seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with gold band, golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and, from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed." And so now there's this scene in heaven where in the middle of the tribulation period, Satan has set himself up to be worshipped. And I was thinking about it this week, and, and just based on what I see in the world and what's going on in the Middle East, um, I just see an alliance. And somehow the nation of Israel is going to reject the Antichrist, but there is a big, gigantic group that is going to receive the Antichrist and to continue to walk with the ways of the Antichrist, rejecting the message of salvation through Jesus. And so I don't know how that exactly is going to play out. Again, that's a, a future event. But as I see what's taking place in the Middle, of the, in, in the middle East, and I just, I don't know, I just anticipate it, it's not looking too good because both Islam and um, Jews are looking for their Messiah. And so one group is going to, it looks like, receive the Antichrist as their Messiah, even when his true colors are seen in the middle of the tribulation period. And so again, how that plays out, uh, I don't know. Or, but I just, I can picture it. And it's not looking good for a lot of people. So now... We're in the middle of the tribulation period. Verse 16 gives us the last three and a half years of this time. Verse 1 in Revelation chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. This will be the last judgment that takes place. In Revelation chapter 17 and 18, we're going to see the judgment of Babylon. We're going to see religious Babylon judged. God despises religion. And we're going to see commercial Babylon judged. God despises commercialism or people being taken advantage of and so for, the, for the sake of money. And so 
in Matthew chapter 24. Let me read you, or if you want to hold your place in Revelation, go with me to Matthew 24. We're going to look at a, a section there where Jesus is talking about the end of the world. Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not yet, has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh could be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And so just an interesting little prophecy that Jesus is giving to answer the question of his disciples when will be the destruction of the temple and when will be the end of the age, the end of the world? And so Jesus is answering here this um, disciple's question, when will the end of the world come? When this abomination of desolation takes place, it's time for you to flee. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. And so again, I just see it as the Antichrist will come into the temple at the halfway point of the tribulation period his true colors will be seen. He'll desire to be worshipped. And in that moment, the eyes of the nation of Israel will be opened. And they will flee. Because to not buy into the system of the Antichrist at that point would be to re refuse the mark of the beast, to not accept the mark on their, on their hand or on their forehead. And they will not be able to buy or sell by doing that. And so God is going to have this protection upon those who refuse but again, they, many of them will have to give their lives for the cause of Christ in that time. So within that three and a half year period. And that's what we're looking at. So the first bold judgment, Revelation chapter 16, verse 2. So the first went out, the first angel, and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. The time that this takes place is when the Antichrist is worshipped, based on that verse right there, and the recipients are the beast worshippers. So these people are worshipping the beast, and the time will be when he is worshipped. That's very significant. Verse 3. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man and every living creature in the sea died. Uh, what that's going to do to the world that everything in the sea uh, is just, it's going to turn the world um, in, a, in an upheaval. Um, plankton is the most prolific animal in the world. It, it, it creates all of this oxygen for us to breathe, believe it or not. And it, all the sea creatures are going to be dead. And it's just the, the things that I was reading of, of how many plankton per every so 
big of a square feet or inches. It's just, it's mind-boggling what's going to be taking place during this time. And so there's going to be nowhere to go. There's going to be nowhere to hide. You're not going to be able to, to, to escape from this judgment that is taking place. Verse 4, Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the, on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard an angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another angel from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments." On earth, the Bible says that we look now dimly, as in a mirror, and we don't see things as well as we really think they're taking place. Um, it's not really reality, if you will. But in heaven, the Bible says that our, our eyes will be fully open, and we're going to see as God sees. And I notice that in heaven, you have, whether it's angels or ministers of God, and they're recognizing God's judgment being poured out, they're always saying, true and righteous and just, perfect, God, are your judgments. And, and so some way they're able to see that this is the right thing to be done. That what God is doing makes absolute perfect sense. And so you have, again, an angel. And then I heard another from the altar saying that God's judgments are true and they are righteous and they are just. Verse 8 and 9, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. For individuals who say that hell is not eternal, and how can God condemn someone to hell for eternity... The same word that um, in the Greek that says everlasting or eternal life is given to eternal damnation or judgment. And hell is eternal. And hell is forever. And some of these verses begin to shed light that people who are hell-bent against God, no matter what is coming down in their life, will stay hell-bent against God. We would think that if they got disciplined or if they got chastened for a period of time or if some catastrophic things took place in their lives, that they would begin to cry out and call out to God for mercy, for forgiveness, for, for, for grace. But you see right here, judgment is being poured out. And their stance, their hard heart is becoming, instead of softer, it's becoming harder. And so what God gives people in between the infraction and the judgment is called grace. That time period between the act of rebellion against God and then the judgment coming down or the consequence, the reaping of what I've sown, that, that time period in all of our lives, in the life of all humanity, is nothing more than God's favor. Nothing more than God's grace. Nothing more than God saying, I'm giving you time to recognize that I love you, that I'm not against you, that I have a plan for you, 
that I want to commune with you. I want to guide you. I want to lead you. I have a better life for you than you have planned for yourself. That time period is called grace. And in this time of judgment being poured out, they had all of this time to repent. And notice their reaction. They did not repent. Instead, they blasphemed God. They're shaking their fist at God. There's a scripture in Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 that say, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. We don't get God. We don't understand God because there's nothing in the world like God. If somebody did something to you that hurt you, if somebody did something to you that offended you, if somebody violates you and they do it on the over and over, again and again, at some point you would begin to keep your distance from that individual. You would probably cut that individual off as best as you can. You would say, no more. You've hurt me too much. You've done too much. That, that is just, it, 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 it's a violation of what I believe and what's deep in my heart. So therefore, I, no, I want n- no longer to do anything with you. Not so with God. With God, any time that we turn our hearts towards him, any time that we give him our attention, any time that we begin to step in his direction, God receives us with arms wide open and he says, come home, daughter, come home, son. I don't hold this against you. I I have nothing but love for you. I have a plan for you. And it's just an incredible thing that God would do this to group of individuals who have rejected him and rejected him and rejected him And yet he says, I want to heal you. Maybe there was a misunderstanding, a confusion. Rest assured, it wasn't on God's part. Verse 10 and 11. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven, because of their pain and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. In Amos chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord? It will be darkness and not light. In Nahum chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible says, Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. In Nahum verse 1.8, the Bible says, But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. And in Zephaniah 1.15, the Bible says, That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. 
Verse 12 goes on to say, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. That word, the kings of the east, is the kings of the rising sun. And it's always pointed to China, Japan, and the kings of the east. The kings of the rising sun is what it is in the original. Verse 13, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, the unholy trinity. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. And so the great battle of Armageddon, where all of these nations are going to come in this valley of Megiddo. And they are going to come against God, and it's not going to be much of a battle. Verse 17, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. A talent is about 135 pounds, so imagine a 135-pound hail falling down and crashing to the earth. A very difficult section of Scripture, again, to read and to get through. Um, in the midst of it, I see God still holding out an opportunity because he's saying if they repented not, meaning there was an opportunity for them to repent. And so there are individuals alive during this time who are still repenting, but there is a, a group of individuals who have reached the point of no return, hence the title, The Point of No Return. Jump over to Romans with me, chapter 1. And I want to show you the contrast because right now there are a group of individuals living on the face of the earth that have reached the point of no return. Now, we don't know where that is, but God does. And I like to say that as long as we have breath, there's an opportunity for us to receive the Lord. There's nothing so bad, so heinous that we can do that God will never receive us. God will never accept us. God will never take us into the fold In Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18, the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. 
Verse 24, the beginning says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their heart. Verse 26, the beginning of the, of the verse says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. And then at, the, at uh, verse 28 it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So this is how it works. <clears throat> we come into the world body, soul, and spirit. Our body is the physicality that we all possess. Everything that you can see and touch. Our soul is the connection to our spirit. Our soul houses our mind, our thinking capacity. Our soul houses our, our will. The things that we choose to do and choose not to do is found somewhere within the soul. Our emotions are found in the soul. And so our soul is the real us. It's the inside us. It's, it's, it's who we really, really are deep, deep down inside. And then our spirit is the part of us that connects with God. Our spirit comes into the world dead because of Adam and Eve. We are dead in... Um, trespasses and sins, we're born sinners, we're, we're just by, sinful by nature. So we come into the world body, soul, and spirit. Now the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to declare the truth of the gospel to us. And as we receive that message, as we take that message in, as we recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ fulfills that requirement, and I receive that gift of salvation into my life, into my heart, then my spirit is quickened and I become now an inverted trichotomy and I become spirit, soul, and body. My body, my flesh, still has a memory bank and it remembers all the bad things I've done and that sinful propensity, but I need to let my spirit rule my being. And the way I do that, who's going to win, is determined in the soul. I feed on the spirit through Bible study through fellowship, through spiritual activities, by doing things and obeying the things that God is calling me to do. And so now I am spirit, soul, body. The ministry of the Holy Spirit again to just reveal that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. As I respond to that, born again, quickened by the Spirit of God. And that's what God is doing our whole life. Some way, somehow, he is just calling us home, calling us to himself, letting us know that there's something more in life, letting us know that there's something greater to live for. The problem is we have this enemy, not only that we're living in, but this powerful enemy in the world. And the enemy of the system of the world is so enticing. It's so calling us to things that are against God. And it doesn't do it in a way that we think because there's a personal devil behind that whole thing. And he is very subtle and very crafty in how he does it. And so as I look at the judgment that is going to take place, it's not necessarily upon individuals who are just worshiping Satan in the sense of how we picture these witches and these covenants up in the mountains doing these diabolical evil things with, the, with the, the book of Satan and all of that stuff. It's in the name of religion. 
It's in the name of self-sufficiency. It's in the name of rejecting the, the message of God and the gospel. That's how it's being done. And so there's a group of individuals in this world that are, think that they're, they're right in their understanding of religion, and they're not. Salvation is found in no other, according to the scriptures, than in Jesus Christ. There is no salvation under any other name given under heaven, the Bible declares. Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus would say, you believe in God, believe also in me. And so outside of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. But yet there is a group of individuals that are living their lives. And if you looked at them, you would say, wow, those are pious people. Those are people that have sacrificed their entire life to their religion. And God finds that offensive. Because in that is a system that is set up that is anti-Christ against God and against his prescribed way that he has made for humanity to come to himself. And so, very important that we understand. Again, if you come to the end of your life and you still have breath, there is always an opportunity for you, for anyone, to be able to receive the salvation that God has to offer but where do you reach that point of no return? Where do you reject God too often, too many times, too much in your life? And hopefully, as you are sharing with individuals, you can point out how well is this thing called life working out for you as you are doing your own thing against God. Because inevitably, it's going to flop. Because if the foundations of your life are not built upon the solid rock, of Jesus Christ, eventually, inevitably, your life is going to hit a storm. And it's in the storms that life is tested. In the midst of those storms, the foundations of what you believe are going to be found out for what they are. And if your life is founded on Jesus Christ, then your house is going to stand. But if your life is not founded on Jesus Christ, when those storms come, it is an eventuality that your house is going to fall. And the gracious thing about this God is he'll be there with you to pick up the pieces if you so let him. But if you don't want him, this is an incredible God, this God of the scriptures. He will not force himself upon any of us. He wants to be with those who want him. He wants to help those who desire his help. And I pray that we and the people that we share with would get this. I had a friend who was sharing with me that it's difficult because he has a, a family member who's passing away and now the family is coming around and different parts of the family believe different things. Some of them are prideful and some of them are humbled through the circumstances of this loved one coming to death. I said to the prideful, share the law. To the humble, share God's grace. So where do you stand? Are you prideful? then the law is going to condemn you because you cannot be perfect on your own and only everything perfect in, or everything in heaven is going to be perfect. To those who are humbled and recognize that they're in need of a savior, it's grace. God's unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor is granted from this God who can bring both law and grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.
And Lord, it is a difficult section to get through. It is a tough thing as we look at it, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you would quicken our hearts to desire to share with those who we love. I pray, Father, that you would continue to have your way in our hearts and in our lives. And Father, that we would be those who would look to you and allow you to work in our lives, Lord. And so, Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the message of the cross and salvation. And we pray, Father, that you would have this time that we offer up to you even now. In Jesus' name, amen.